coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio. It's Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by IDS, an award-winning digital marketing agency that delivers integrated marketing solutions for franchisers, franchisees, and franchise development teams. Learn why over 75 brands depend on IDS's team of dedicated marketers and client service professionals to deliver a strong ROI on their marketing investment. Go to IDSFranchiseMarketing.com for a complimentary digital audit and consultation. Excellent, excellent. It's great to be back for another episode of Franchise Marketing Radio, the show where we dive into captivating conversations with industry leaders and experts in the world of franchising. I'm your host, Rob Ganley, and today we have a fantastic guest who is making waves in the restaurant franchise landscape. Joining us on the show is Scott Moffitt. He is the CEO of Sunny Street Cafe, a rising star in the breakfast and lunch segment. In a time where traditional corporate breakfast chains are facing shifts in popularity, Sunny Street Cafe is stepping into the spotlight, offering a fresh and promising approach. We'll be delving into why the Ohio-based restaurant franchise is poised to become the next big player in the industry, from simplified operations to comprehensive support and an appealing lifestyle benefit for entrepreneurs, Sunny Street Cafe is certainly capturing attention. Today, we'll explore how Sunny Street Cafe has mastered the breakfast and lunch business model, adapted to changing times, and positioned itself for even greater success. So without further ado, let's welcome Scott to the show. Thank you, and thank you for joining us today, Scott. Welcome to the show. Good morning, and thanks for having me, Rob. Really, uh, really looking forward to visiting with you today. You got it. It's great to be here. So, tell me a little bit about how things came to be. Tell us about the the you know the breakfast and lunch segment and how it's evolving and how you got involved with Sunny Street Cafe. I know you sure. have a, a long history in franchising. Sure, I've pretty much been involved in food and franchising food opportunities since I got involved in the business, and it's getting to seem like a long time ago. You know, uh, let's just say it's been a couple of decades. Um, so I enjoy, you know, the the, the industry, the, the restaurant food service industry is, is dynamic. It's changing. It's evolved. I've been involved with it long enough to have a little bit of perspective to see how it's changed and grown over the years. And, you know, and franchising uh, is clearly one of the most rewarding aspects of the food service industry because it's given so many people so many opportunities over the years to get involved in business ownership and entrepreneurship and and really you know kind of capture that american dream that that we've all talked about so that that's exciting that's sort of what gets me excited about coming to work every day to have this as an opportunity to offer to folks that will allow them to achieve you know their personal and their business goals that you know we talk a lot in our concept about a work-life balance which we think is super important and because of our concept, you know, the breakfast and lunch concept, you know, we're 6.30 to 2.30. And there's a lot of advantages to that, both economically as well as personally. But for many of our franchise owners that have come to us uh, from other industries, you know, that's been kind of what they've been looking for. They wanted an opportunity to be involved in a business, you know, for themselves, but not by themselves, right? So that's, you know, that's sort of the tenant of the franchise model. Uh, right. And they want them to have an opportunity to create wealth for them and their families. And they wanted to have an opportunity to enjoy their families and have the lifestyle benefits of 
you know, you know, for us on a bad day, things haven't gone particularly well. You know, you're out of the restaurant at 3.30 in the afternoon, which means that you're still picking the kids up from school. You're still having a family meal. You're still able to be involved in your community and other activities that complement the business, uh, but not, not replace it necessarily. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, lifestyle benefits and, uh, you know, a simplified uh, business model is, you know, enticing for people, right? It's what they kind of are looking for. And I, if I kind of was listening carefully, what you're saying is in some cases, this can be a business where you can have that as well, right? You can put the yeah. team in place, put the business in place and it operates like a good business would profitably, right? Helping, uh, helping people. So, um, but yes, tell me a little bit more about what makes you guys unique in that regard, though. What what are some of the innovations or ideas that you had to kind of deal with over the years to make that, uh, make what I just described, something where people can come in and maybe go from semi-passive to passive or have multiple locations or have a strategy where they might, uh, might make, they're more, uh, they're more ambitious, let's say. Sure. Yeah. Our, uh, our founding stakeholder uh, is a Columbus business now by the name of Mike Stasco. Uh, Mike and I have known each other and have worked together for going on 40 years. And he was responsible for bringing this concept uh, from Northern Florida to Columbus. And he did that specifically because he wanted to create a business where he and his family can be involved. Uh, he was a very successful business person. Uh, previous to this, he'd been or is in the restaurant equipment and supply business, but wanted to create an opportunity for his kids. So you know, that's that was the driving incentive for him bringing the concept to Columbus. And that that tenant or that underwriting current of family remains very important to us, and and is a hallmark really of our concept. We're you know we're twenty two restaurants uh, strong right now. We have several that are in development. Uh, so it's it's relatively small, um, but we've gotten the opportunity to work and interface with our franchisees on a daily basis. And we see them not only as business partners, but also as strong, you know, have a strong family orientation, being involved in their communities, being, you know, having ties that go beyond just the offering of a breakfast and lunch cafe. So it, that it, it, it's a bit nuanced, you know, this, uh, this is truly a family opportunity and a family operation. So, you know, that I think has an appeal to folks that want to feel, you know, be part of this and to have their business opportunity reflect their family values. Well, tell me a little bit about, I mean, that, and that there's a lot to be said there. I mean, a lot of people are getting into business more than just to make money. Obviously you want to make good investments and to do well financially it enables you to be a better business and and to provide better services so the goal is always to to make profits but you want to do it for reasons other than that you want to do it for community ties and to make a difference Correct. in the world you're living in right um tell me a little bit though you know obviously you probably get this questions uh maybe not as much anymore but still think it's a great question to, to because i love the franchise industry and what it did and during the pandemic obviously it was an unprecedented situation. No one really had a playbook for it. <clears throat> and now we kind of, if it ever were to happen again, I think we have a better, maybe a better uh, playbook, but um, it, we weren't ready. Right. But, but I always said when we were interviewing folks back then, 
in 2020 that it was such a great example of franchising at work because it was the idea that everybody as a team, as a group, as a network would pull together and work together to work through a complex problem. You couldn't create a case study that would have been harder to solve. <laughs> it sounds like a good, right. like a good a master's program to solve, right? Uh, a problem. Like if this were to happen, what would you do? Tell me a little bit about how the brand dealt with that. Obviously, in the restaurant industry, it was something that was hit uh, pretty hard by something like that. Tell me, though, what positive came out of it? Because that's what I saw a lot of. It's just a lot of cool things, innovations that may have come from that, learnings. Tell me a little bit about how you You guys know. It's so interesting to sit here from the perspective today and look back on those times and say, you know, we really did benefit from some of those opportunities as they were presented to us. Because obviously at the time, you know, it was terrifying. You're right. There, there was no playbook. No, nobody, you know, nobody had the guidelines to, to navigate us through that. We went from, you know, we went from a, a thriving business to closed dark dining rooms. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't know. Uh, you know, our business model changed significantly. But to your point, you know, from that, because we had to work through those types of opportunities, Honestly, we, we became better operators because we had to. I mean, certainly it was a degree in flexibility. We needed to pivot, you know, from our traditional business model into something that adapted to the dynamics of the pandemic world. You know, for, you know, since our inception, you know, we were a, a dining room based business. You know, we were breakfast and lunch. We built ourselves as the family community gathering place that you know, welcome folks to come in and spend time and interface and interact. And obviously the pandemic took that, you know, right off the table. So what do you do? You know, when we look at, when we look at our business now, we really look at it in terms of sales channels, right? So there's dining room business, you know, at the time we had a very small portion of our business was off premise because, you know, breakfast at the time was really not a big off premise type opportunity uh, for us and our menu. So when the dining rooms closed and we needed to shift to third party as you know, pretty much everybody else had to, you had to pretty quickly re-engineer your, your menu, your offerings, your packaging, your scheduling in order to accommodate that off-premise business, that third party business. You know, we, like a lot of folks, you know, assumed that when the dining rooms reopened that, you know, the majority, if not all of that business would probably go away. And we revert, revert back to more of a, a traditional model. And that really didn't happen. You know, uh, we we grew that portion of the business significantly through the pandemic. And we kept a good portion of that. So when the dining rooms opened and our guests came back, you know, we had a, a, almost a built-in sales bump on that new sales channel that we didn't have previously. So that was, that was super important. Now, uh, in addition to that, we had at the time prior to the pandemic, we had uh, a, a fairly well-defined catering program where we did you know, quite a bit, quite a bit of business off-premise, you know, for catered events. And once again, during the pandemic, you know, we didn't know we didn't know whether that was going to come back because catering relies on large groups, and groups weren't the thing, right? So uh, now when you're talking about uh, social distancing and whatnot. But nonetheless, through the pandemic, you know, we kept our key catering personnel and that piece of the business not only came back, but grew substantially. So as a result of the pandemic, uh, as I said, we, we became better operators. You know, our, our, 
Our dining room model evolved, changed, and improved. Our off-premise model, our third-party business, grew and improved. And our catering business grew exponentially. So as we sit here today, you know, we're looking at, at double-digit sales growth you know, across the board you know, for all of our locations. And uh, even accounting for you know, some menu inflation for price adjustments, there's real growth there in terms of customer accounts. Yeah. So uh, it, it, yeah. was, it was a good thing. Amazing. No, I mean, and, and, and you say it, we talk about it like we're just having a casual conversation. Yeah, you know, matter of fact, but really creating another revenue stream isn't something that's easy for anyone to do in business. So just being part of a franchise brand, again, the example is that a franchise brand can evolve when they need to, and they're doing it anyway. So it's like you're used to it. You just weren't used to it for this reason. You're always, you're always getting better. You're always looking for better ways to serve your audience. We were forced to adapt based on, but then our audience decided, wait a minute, we, we don't mind doing some of these things still. Like we, that was actually convenient now that I've learned to do this. I've gotten used to using yeah. a third party app or something. And, and you know what? The food was still pretty good. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, you know what I mean? It, it kind of trained them to do business with us differently. But what it wouldn't should get what should not ever get lost is that in our industry that, that what could be done uh, as an individual would be almost impossible, right? I mean, maybe you would work through it, but to do it, be able to do all those things and to be able to look back two or three years later and say we actually improved. That's the thing that was pretty amazing. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. So tell me a little bit about your expansion plans because I know um, a, a little bit about what we're saying here is. Obviously, folks are in business, you know, for themselves, but not by themselves. And the brand never thrives if the franchisees don't thrive. And so, when you expand, obviously, you're looking at success. You're 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 planning for success. So you want to pick markets that you believe in, feel give you a strategic advantage, at least in the beginning, right? Sure. Tell me about your expansion plans, where you're headed, why, and uh, how that looks for you in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, we'd like to, you know, we'd like to grow in contiguous markets. Right now, you know, we have our, our base here in Columbus, you know, with eight stores in the metro area. We have a location up in uh, northern Ohio, uh, not far outside of Cleveland. We've got uh, four stores in Metro St. Louis. We have a foothold, seven stores in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, we've got single store operations in Carbonet, Illinois, and Huntsville, Alabama. So, you, you know, obviously geographically diverse. You know, the first opportunity would be continue to grow in and around those markets, right? There's synergies there uh, in terms of distribution as well as, you know, brand recognition. So it, it makes the most sense to concentrate there. You know, in some of the markets, it's a little more tricky, you know, with as many restaurants as we have in Columbus, you know, opportunity is a little bit more limited um, uh, than what you uh, would be ideal, but nonetheless, there's still options. So that would be, you know, first and foremost, to continue to fill out our existing markets and then contiguous markets so that we can best service them. You know, as we, as we take a step back and we look at the, the country in general, um, you know, we're partial to the Southeast. Uh, we feel that Atlanta, the Metro Atlanta area uh, would offer an opportunity for the brand. You know, it's a large sophisticated restaurant market. A lot of opportunities, real estate is still relatively affordable, good population base for employees. You know, they're used to our type of service, so that's intriguing. Uh, Northern South Carolina, Northern Florida, we think will be excellent opportunities for us as well. 
So that as we as we sit today and think about concentrating our marketing efforts, those are probably the markets that we'll look at. Other options, you know, we, we like Nashville. Uh, we think Nashville will be an opportunity. Uh, and North uh, Northeast Tennessee, uh, the Tri Cities. So uh, we're, we're we're poking around a little bit just to to see what the options might be in in those types of markets. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me as a marketer, um, you know, and I know you have to wear that hat a lot, and you have over over the years, sales and marketing. As a CEO, now you wear lots of hats. But tell me a little bit about how do you approach that targeting? How do you? Is there something unique that you like to do when you say, "Okay, we know that's the market we like." So, what are we doing to, to approach that market? Maybe get the word out. I know we all use brokers, we all use uh, organizations. We there's a lot of ways to market online. Um, but is there something unique that you guys like to do that you say, "Well, we always do this when we enter a market"? Yeah, we you know we're working with mainland. And you know, crafting the message, and and it's been very good. You know, we've been, you know, we've been, I've been involved in the brand for a while. Many of us have been here for quite a number of years, and and sometimes when you're that close to uh, to your work environment, that you, you don't always have the perspective uh, that some folks can help provide you. So um, the the guys at Mainland have been very helpful for you know having us take a step back. Uh, and ask us, you know, critical questions about the brand. You know, why us? Why now? What is the opportunity? Why are you the choice? You know, craft your message. What portions of the segment can you own? Aspirational. Where do you want to be? You know, who is your target? You know, why is your target? You know, could you accommodate things outside of, of uh, what you might have done traditionally? So it really has you know, been helpful, I believe, in you know, helping us put our message together and, and get um, get our opportunity out in position properly. Yeah. You know, we there in, in breakfast and lunch. There, are, there are a number of things where we we are all. You know, there's the competitive set, right? So, you know, my lifestyle opportunity is is pretty much the same lifestyle opportunity for anybody that operates in breakfast and lunch. So that's not different and unique, right? That's sort of a a, a bar of entry that you need to clear. Uh, we know that you know breakfast tends to be you know, a pretty profitable opportunity in terms of food costs, right? So there's an opportunity there. And there are certain breakfast items that position properly drive that. Um, so innovation in, in the menu, uh, I think, is important. Um, but but also, we need to we need to understand that, you know, for for all, for for seasoned restaurateurs, right, that they look at our opportunity and they say, Gosh, you guys are open from six thirty to two thirty. Why don't we open for dinner? Because right, we're paying we're paying rent 24 seven. You're only operating for you know those day parts. So if we want to drive top line, you know, let's create the day part. And and we have in, in previous years we've taken a variety of different shots at that dinner day part. But at the end of the day, you know, we we learned that you know if you're a breakfast and lunch concept, you need to concentrate on being the very best breakfast and lunch concept that you can and and not stray too far away from your roots because that third day part opening creates a whole myriad of operational issues that you hadn't considered not the least of which is the demands on the personnel additional salary management you know a, a bigger roster of part-time employees so right. for us uh not wanting to lean into that 
we thought, well, how, you know, what, what are the opportunities to drive our top line profitably, which, you know, sell what we sell. And we lean pretty heavily into the catering operation. And that's what, that's kind of what we're hanging our, our hat on. Over the last four or five years, a group of individuals here have devoted the majority of their time uh, to that catering program. And that has, in fact, for the stores that do it, has become that third day part. So when we talk to prospective franchisees and they say, hey, can I do dinner? You know, the short answer is no. However, you can implement this catering program and create the, the sales benefit of that day part without adding to the operational complex, uh, complexity. So that's, that really is, you know, that's, that's my pitch. That's my strongest play. Uh, into what makes us different. I can tell you that I think we've got the best menu. I can tell you that we've got the best training program. I can tell you that we'll hold your hand, you know, from concept to implementation to opening, but everybody will tell you that. Uh, but, but, what I, but what I can tell you is I think I've got the best catering program out there. Yeah. Well, and I love that. Conceptually, you know, catering revenue is, you know, you're dealing with businesses, so... You know, many times it's it's very reliable revenue. It's repeat revenue. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's very much it's similar. It's similar business. It's not yep. it's not complicated revenue. Not, not um, complicated revenue. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny when we talk this way because it's not stuff you normally think about when you're not a franchise, right? Right. It's like every little thing. It's like, well, yeah. Why not just do dinner because we're renting the building? Yeah. Well, here's fifty other fifty other details you probably didn't think about. But that's exactly the point, right? When you're really looking at things that way all the time, you're always paying attention to the impact. If we do Y, we'll get X. And but that's the beauty of a franchise model, that, right? Is that, thought through. <laughs> that's that's exactly right, and that's the key. You know, we you know we took the lead on that. You know, we you know we spent you know we spent the time and the money and put the resources against it. Didn't necessarily let a franchisee go out there on their own and say, "Yeah, go ahead, you guys give this a try and then let us know." And if it works, we're going to take the idea, polish it up a little bit, and put it back out there like it was ours. So we didn't do that. You know, we said, "We hear you. Let us go on and test it. Uh, let us put the resources of the of the of the of the corporation behind it, and let's see what happens." And um, and at the end of the day. I think I think there were a lot of our franchisees that say, "Yeah, we're we're super glad we didn't do that." <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. You know, it's not quite as it's simple after the fact, right? Yeah, there and, you go. And and, and it's uh, well, and, and you have the corporate stores, so you can always run these things and you know perfect them and sure. roll them back out. You know, which is again one of the ongoing benefits of being a part of a brand. So tell me, you know, I like to wrap up the show usually with this question a lot of times. And, you know, you have two, a guy like you could give folks advice um, that are interested in franchising in a couple ways, right? And so I wanted to see if you wanted to maybe, you know, do it two ways. So if you would give advice to a, a restaurateur who might be thinking, you know, franchising might be the way to expand my brand, right? Yeah. What would be, be any advice you have for that kind of a guy? And then the other is for a franchise investor or an owner or someone wants to own their own business for the first time. Uh, we're a more seasoned investor that wants to own, uh, maybe diversify. What advice would you have for a potential franchisee? So, potential franchisor, potential franchisee, getting into your space, into that, into into where you guys are. What what advice would you have for those guys? Yeah, for you know, for you know, getting into business. You know, I, you know, I I'm biased. I'm 100 on this franchise side. I, I know, I know. It seems see, you know, franchisees are entrepreneurial. 
And they look at an opportunity and they say, you know what, I can make this work. That's what makes that's what makes a franchisee, you know, such you know, such a dynamic part of the of the organization. However, I will say this that uh, you mentioned it earlier. Sometimes things seem a little bit easier than what they are. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of nuance there. So if you're out there in the world and you're thinking about becoming a, you know, going into business, there are a couple of you know, a couple of suggestions that I would have. You know, kind of do that fearless self-inventory and, and think about what you really like to do and what type of environment uh, that you flourish the best in. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well vested in, in the restaurant industry. And I would say, you know, if, if you want to get into the restaurant business, you know, it, it, it's a way of life. It really, it, it's, it stays with you. It's whether your hours are, you know, 24 hours or, or, or 10 or 12 hours, it's still a 24-hour business, right? So you've got to make that decision that, that, you, that you want to love it. And you want to have that level of interaction with, with people and that you want to be on the ground dealing with customers. You know, somebody once said the restaurant business would be great if you didn't have to deal with, you know, customers and employees, you know. So, I mean, I, I, talk, I talk to a lot of people that like to cook, so they want to get in the restaurant business. That's probably not, probably not the best reason. So, you know, do that, do that inventory. You know, decide what it is that makes you happy, and then look for opportunities out there that, that fit into that niche. And also, you know, you got to be realistic. You know, this, it's expensive. You know, re- restaurants are expensive. Even the ones that aren't expensive are expensive. So you got to kind of worry about, you know, that funding up front. You know, either you have it or you have a way to get it. And you've got to have, you've got to have a three-year plan. You, you have to on, uh, you know, making this investment. You know, a lot of times, you know, a, a franchisee can be somewhat exhausted by the time they actually open their restaurant thinking that they've accomplished the goal. Hey, I got the restaurant open. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to, is to make it successful after it's open. That's when the work starts. So, uh, you got to have a degree of energy. So I, you know, I, I, I've been very fortunate over the years and have helped a number of people, you know, reach their goals in this industry. Um, yeah. All of them have a passion for the industry. All of them care deeply about what they're doing. All of them have a base that's, that's centric for both their customers and their employees. Uh, and that's super important. Yeah. 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 And what, what would you say for the fr- potential franchisor? Um, not so much the person that's a franchisee, but somebody that might be thinking franchising is the way to expand. What are your thoughts there? That's a heck of a responsibility. Uh, I mean, you you got to you got to have your ducks in a row because when you're out there talking with folks, you know they're they're investing their future with you. They're taking their hard-earned dollars. They're taking uh, what they what they've been able to, to do to that date, and they're looking to you to provide you know growth and guidance and support. And and you got to be prepared to do that. You know you, ne- you never do a bad deal just to do a deal. You know sometimes the best thing that you can do for yourself as a franchisor and the and the prospective franchisee is to say, hey, this isn't the right opportunity for you. It's not the right time. You know there are other things that are better suited for you. Uh, you know, we've never, you know, we've never chased numbers and we never will because we, we take that responsibility uh, seriously. So, 
you know, I, I like, you know, I love talking to folks that have a business concept and they want to franchise it because I think making that opportunity available is something else. But you got to really go through it from soup to nuts to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row and you're able to deliver on that promise because that's what you're doing. When, when, they, when they sign that agreement, you take their money, you've made a pact, and, and that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, it is. It is, but it's what drives to me. It's what drives the success of the of the industry. It, it, it. Everybody's got skin in the game. Serious skin in the game. Right? Serious and, skin in the game. Yeah, there's no, there's no like. It, it's not okay for failure to occur. <laughs> like it just that, never. That's that's exact. No, listen. No one ever you know gets into business with the intent that they're going to fail, right? You know, everybody, everybody on that that day of signing, man, you're. You're smiling, you're happy, you're handshaking, you're back slapping, and you have every expectation that that business is going to be successful. And from that day on, the franchisor needs to do whatever they can to make that happen. Uh, and, and if you do, then it's a wonderful result. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, like I said, it's win-win. You, they win, then, then you grow uh, at the pace you choose to. As you said, you're not always just growing to grow. But, you know, if you're successful, then you can pick and choose how you approach it and where you grow and who you take on to partner with. But again, it's, it's a situation where you want to win and you want to succeed. And I love that because I'm also, as a marketer and an entrepreneur, I've dabbled with lots of things, especially in the technology world. And uh, there's nothing like franchising when it comes down to success. It's just yes. nothing. Yes. So bottom line, if you want to be successful... Uh, it may not always be the sexiest business model, but it is the right one. And uh, and so, but that's great. So tell me, before I let you go, where can people learn more? What's the best way to reach out to you guys and learn more about Sunny Street Cafe? Yeah, we www.sunnystreetcafe.com. Uh, uh, www that's the website. Um, we've, uh, we've just freshened it up. We made it very accessible. Uh, there's a ton of information on there. Uh, there's a, a, a quick, easy you know, fill in a few of these uh, uh, blanks and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're right back at you. So www.sunnystreetcafe.com uh, and uh, we'll get right back to you. All right. Well, that's great. Great stuff, Scott. I appreciate you. Uh, thanks again uh, for shedding light on Sunny Street Cafe's journey, innovations, and future uh, growth potential and, and where you're headed. Uh, your insights in the breakfast industry are, are very valuable. I appreciate your time today. Uh, for our listeners, we hope you gained a fresh perspective on the evolving restaurant industry and the exciting opportunities it offers. We appreciate it. Stay tuned for more, more of these conversations in the future. We appreciate you and bye for now. Rob, thank you. You're welcome.